Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Catch new episodes of The O Show for free, available on all audio platforms, including Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. For full video versions of the podcast, head on over to YouTube and StarWorldWideNetworks.com. The O Show is presented by Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. Mayweather Boxing and Fitness is an inclusive, high-intensity fitness experience developed by the champ Floyd Money Mayweather himself. The best group boxing workout in the market, Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. Oh, Jack. Jack O'Hara. Boy, you asked me some interesting questions, my man. It's a great question, Jack. Jack, hey, it's Josh Ryder. Hey there, Jack O'Hara. It's Johnny Damon. Jack, you had questions for me. Jack O'Hara? Absolutely. This message is for Jack O'Hara. O'Hara. Jack, how are you? Hey, Jack. Jack, hey, what's going on, man? How you doing? What's going on, Jack? Uh, listen, man, you know, you, you, you asked me a couple questions. Live and broadcasting around the world, you're listening to The O Show. In the show and uh, doing your thing, I mean, you've got some pretty big name guests. I've seen your, your stuff, so congratulations on your success. Jack O'Hara. Much nicer guy than Conan O'Brien with much better interviewing skills. Don't forget to share this episode on your social media. Now, let's get to it. I am so boned. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow, and now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Oh, dude. She's totally going to break up with you. She's definitely going to break up with me. Should have used TickPick. Wait, what'd you say? TickPick. Look. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? There are no hidden fees. What'd you guys think I said? Oh, TickPick. I thought you said tick pick. No hidden fees. Download today. Happening, everybody. Welcome back to the O Show podcast, episode 451 here in Scottsdale, Arizona. We are presented by Mayweather Boxing and Fitness in Scottsdale, Arizona. Remember, Mayweather Boxing and Fitness is an inclusive, high intensity fitness experience developed by the champ Floyd Money Mayweather himself, formulated with the perfect combination of boxing, strength, and cardio conditioning intervals designed to make you look good, feel good, and leave you more than with just a great sweat. Mayweather Boxing and Fitness down in Scottsdale, Arizona. We're also sponsored by betonline.ag. Remember to sign up for your 50% bonus week 13 of the NFL coming your way Thursday night football tomorrow night. Remember to use that promo code capital B-L-E-A-V 50 to sign up for that 50% bonus. Our guest today knows a little something about sports, a little something about broadcasting, (laughs) Mr. Tim Ring. Yeah, Jack, if you've been around as long as I have, you do pick up a little bit here and there. Thanks for having me on, buddy. Thank good to, you. Good to see you. Uh, we were talking a little bit yeah. before we went on about old age broadcasting versus kind of the new school broadcasting. Yeah. Things have changed. Things have changed. You know, I got into this deal in 1989. Uh, I was actually younger than you. I was really? 19. I was 19 years old when I kind of fell into broadcasting. I was uh, in college, and, you know, I won't tell the entire story, but the Cliff Notes. I was in college, and I, I, you know, I, wanted to, I wanted to work in sports. I wanted to do something in sports, and I was working for the SID uh, department at my university. I went to school in Chicago uh, at DePaul University, and for the SID 
uh, department at a college is pretty much the PR wing of a of a college university's athletic department. Yeah. And they told me that there was an internship open at, at WGN Sports in Chicago uh, for the summer. Uh, so I went down and I, I applied for that and uh, went up against a, a bunch of kids that were trying to get it from the Chicago schools and the Big Ten schools. And I, I was able to get that, that internship. And I, I walked into that newsroom in 1989 and... For 30 years, I, I worked in I worked in newsrooms, and I never I never left. Um, and so, so for me, I got into this deal pre-internet, yeah, uh, pre-smartphone, and certainly I, I wrote it out for three decades. Uh, I've kind of moved on now from a full-time position in local news, but I still pop up and fill in here and there over at ABC 15. I do, do some stuff at the radio station over at ABC or uh, Arizona Sports 98.7, do stuff for the Suns TV radio. I'm doing some TV stuff for FanDuel. So now I'm, I'm, I'm not exactly, oh, yeah. I'm not exactly America's guest. I'm more like I'm Phoenix's sportscaster. No, I got in, in case of emergency, uh, break the glass right. and I'll, I'll come, I'll, I'll come work for you when, when you need somebody. So yeah, I've seen, I've seen, uh, the highs of the local sports and, and local news uh, industry, and I've seen the lows. And I think, you know, really where we're at right now is probably across the board, probably the, the when you talk about the lows, probably the lowest point uh, in the in the era of, of local television news, I think, Jack, is where we're at. But, uh, you know, I know there's a lot more to talk about than that. But, yeah, that's that's uh, that's it's definitely uh, at a place right now where I never thought it would be when I got into it 30 years ago. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see where it is five years from now, the way the Internet's moving, the way technology is increasing. Might not be yeah. here, Jack. Really? I mean, listen, the, 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 the viewing audience is, is skewing older. Uh, you know, the, 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 the research says that young people like yourself, um, uh, they just don't watch local news. Yeah. Uh, I would say people even in their 30s and 40s don't watch their, their local newscast anymore. Um. You know, ratings are down. They're as low as they've ever been. Advertising dollars are down. Therefore, salaries are going down uh, within the people that work in the local newsrooms. They're, they're trying whatever they can do to get viewers. Uh, and it's becoming more and more difficult because, you know, let's be honest, you know, people have their, people have their, their content sources right here in the palm of their hand. And if there's any information or content you want or you need, it is right there accessible to you in an instant. And the idea of waiting to watch a local newscast uh, is becoming quite antiquated, especially for the late night newscast. I think there's something still habitual uh, for people to watch a morning show. Um, so those seem to be doing a little bit better. Uh, but the idea of people waiting for the 9 and 10 o'clock news still uh, to, to get their information, to find out what happened during the day, that for local sports to find out who won, or whether or not Kyler Murray is playing on Sunday, nobody's waiting until 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock anymore to find out that information. If you want it, you're, you're going to find it out when you when you want to find it out. Yep. You know, so that's those are the challenges that's, that that local news is, is facing right now, and it's real difficult. I mean, it's, it's, do you think it's better or worse overall for the industry to have all this content whenever you want it? Because like we were saying before, you guys and Robin, this is what you said. You can chime in too. It was yep. like a family, like you guys on the local news. Like if you wanted to get your favorite team, you grew up, you were looking for the Cubs score uh, yeah. at the game. Like you waited until the, the local news at night to figure out who won the game. There was something prestigious and uh, about working in local news or being on local news. Your your local news anchors were 
were were highly compensated. Uh, they were yeah. they were notable people. They were credible people. They were known in the community, and they were important people. Uh, and they had vital jobs because they were the conduit to bring the the people in the market or the city that you were living in the news every night. And whether that be your weatherman or your sportsman, your local anchors, or even your reporters out on the street. I mean, there was something special about working in local news. It was an important job, and it was an important industry. But as you know, content became more widespread and more easily accessible and more media you know, outlets sprung up beginning with, I mean, listen, you want to go way back. There used to be only three channels, mm-hmm. right? So then when, when cable TV started and cable news started and CNN started and then the internet started and obviously the, the, the ability to consume news via the web and then the smartphone and social media, I mean, it, it's, been a, it's been a game changer for the consumer. It's much better for the consumer. I mean, you might have to be a little more careful about what news you're consuming and the accuracy of said news, which maybe you did not have to do as much back when there were three channels and it was, you know, Walter Cronkite on the national side and, you know, your local newsman on the local side in Chicago was Bill Curtis, right? Right. And Fahey Flynn, where I grew up. I don't think he had to question their credibility. You might have those issues now because you don't know where news is coming from, whether you consume it on the radio, the internet, or the television. So your your choices are are, are more. Um, but for people that are trying to get into local news, there are more jobs, but they pay less, mm. right? So that's I mean, so that's that's you know that's the old catch twenty two, right? I mean, there's there's more places to work, there are more jobs available. You know, but the salaries, because of that, because it's saturated, right now the salaries are going down, which is good for young people, right? Because salaries are not much of a concern for people like yourself who are in their 20s. But when you get older and you're in your 50s and you're, you got a mortgage and you've got kids and you got to put them through college, you know, it's kind of tougher to be working for twenty, thirty thousand $30,000 a year. So that's, that's another ding mm. on local news organizations, because the salaries are going way, way down. They can't afford to pay people, you know, who have commanded maybe a higher salary as they reach the age of 40 and 50. So that, those, those are the kind of dynamics that are floating around now uh, as we, you know, the, when, 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 when did Twitter start? 2009? I mean, so we're, we're not talking about that long of a time here, Jack. We're talking about, you know, less than 15 years. This thing has really, really changed when you talk about news consumption in the United States. Well, let me throw a hypothetical at you then. You know, if you were 19 years old getting your start, whether it be in anchoring or sports casting, you know, whatever you want to do, but there was that hint, you know, Twitter was on the rise when you were 19 or podcasting started becoming a big game because if you're good, like you said, like you have to be good in this industry, you got to pay your dues, yep. you got to put in the work and you still might not get recognized, you know? Yep. But in the podcasting game, we've seen the Joe Rogans and the Barstool Sports of the world. Like, are they professional at t- like at times? They could be really unprofessional, but people still buy into what they're saying right. because it, it, it's content creation and it's good content. Do you think you would have leapt into that world, or would you o- have always pursued sports anchoring? Well, you know, it's a great question because this what, what you're doing now is a whole different ball of wax than what I had available to me when I started. When I started, you wanted to be 
the local sports guy who came on at 1025 and gave the yeah. highlights and gave the you know the news about who was playing and, and who was not and you wanted to you know break a story here and there and maybe have a funny you know piece of video at the end of your sports cast and have everybody laugh and say oh, I love Tim Ring on at 1025 over on channel whatever but what what you guys have available to you now and I, I think what you're doing with this show you know is absolutely fantastic because you know what this is your baby this is your deal you're not beholden like I know you have a boss and you are working for somebody but this is your show you know, you are you are you are flying on the backs, uh, the back of your wing, so to speak. Yeah. Okay. You are going to make or break. Like you're taking control of your career. Okay. So this is this is something that you're going to control. You're going to book your guests. You're going to do your homework. And you're going to go out there and you're going to book. You're going to you're going to sell. You're going to talk to people. You're going to make it happen. You know, and that's going to drive. The viewers, listeners, and that's going to drive revenue. So you're taking can kind of control of of your career, which is a good thing. Yeah. And and you know, and I don't think a lot of, I don't know per se, but I'm not sure a lot of people that, that are younger like you maybe are that aggressive. You know, and they probably should be, because I don't think the old way of graduating from Cronkite at ASU and then doing your audition tape and sending it out to Yuma and trying to get a job in Yuma and then trying to get a job in Tucson and then trying to get a job in Phoenix. I, I just don't know if that's the route anymore. No. I, I don't know if you want to do that anymore. And i got to be honest, Jack, I, I, the, the future of local sports, you've seen already stations across the country eliminate local sports from their newsrooms completely. You know, forget about scaling back or forget about getting rid of maybe the high salaried sports anchor you're seeing them just say that's it we're done if there's a big sports story we'll put our reporter on who kind of knows about sports on that story Mm -hmm. so the long game here what's sustainable you know for in in local sports tv I, i just don't i gotta i gotta be honest i just i wouldn't recommend it as a career but I wouldn't not recommend sports media. I would I would tell kids to 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 look into what well, like what you're doing, or starting their own blog or trying to start their own media outlet. You know, take take control of your own career, so you're not beholden to a corporate office in, you know, book a book in Nebraska, right? Or somebody can take a red pen and say, all right, you're done. You oh know? yeah. You know, you don't want you don't want that. Right. I mean, you were beholding to someone else, but again, like you went up through the ranks. You were, like you said, you were credible. You were respected. You were one of, like you said, there were three stations. There were three channels yeah, back yeah. in the day. But yeah. now, I'm not that old. But yes, when I was younger, that I didn't was say the case. anything. I didn't yeah. say anything. I wasn't insinuating anything. But you're right. And anybody in any business, you could be real estate agent. You could be yep. an actor, a musician. You could. Everybody could do what we're doing right now. You know, like anybody could be a broadcast slash content creator slash on-air talent in doing whatever they want to do to market to their brand, to their audience, as opposed to back in the day, it was a job. Like you earned that position because you put in the work, you you did the hours like we were saying, but now anybody could do it, which is both good and bad. It's a double-edged sword because there are a lot of great people who are making a lot of great content, but it gets lost in the weaves because there's a lot of other people who think they can do it. Mm -hmm. They're not really putting in the work to do it. And it's just all getting mixed up in this giant cesspool of just not... Like and, I, I, some, and some of that, because I don't think people really quite understand 
the dynamics of the industry yet and exactly you know how to best utilize yeah. uh, those skill sets or or the skill sets of others uh, to help maybe build their brands and whatnot. So I, I think you know I think over the next you know five or six years the evolution of of, of what you're doing here or or what's available to other people in their chosen professions uh you know when it comes to content creation when it comes to podcasting when it comes to video creation you know i think we're only touching the you know the tip of the iceberg or we're, 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 we're i mean we're, we're at the, like if you look at it like a tree we're at we're at the roots i mean we barely cracked the surface of the ground here and what people can do you know i mean every everybody everybody's got a camera now right there in the palm of their hands, right? So, so what people can do, uh, you know, in their chosen fields, uh, I, I think the possibilities are endless, and it's going to be real interesting uh, to see who utilizes uh, what's available to them, I think, in the coming years. That's going to be fascinating. What's your personal take on the kind of the new age era of content and business? You know, I, I mentioned Barstool Sports earlier. Like, they are considered a professional organization now, insanely yeah. successful. But to the ESPNs, the Fox Sports, some of the personnel there, it's like, I liked it the old school way as opposed to now, where they're considered wronky or unprofessional. It's just like a different uh, dynamic there. You know what, uh, uh, Barstool, you know, for me personally, I'm probably a little too old for that, yeah. that demographic. Oh, yeah. But I will say this, um, even though I don't consume their content, I applaud what they have been able to do. What they have been able to create from the ground up, you know, for Dave Portnoy to be able to begin handing out flyers in the middle of Boston to create what he has created, uh, to, to, whether or not you like him or not, if you can't applaud and marvel at what he's done and what they've created there from the ground up, I know I don't know what to tell you. I mean, they 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 have they what they have been able to accomplish has been nothing short of, of fascinating. Um, and then they had the foresight to join up with a with a gambling entity. Yeah. Um, and, and and now you know their their profits. I mean, must be absolutely you know gargantuan. You know, and good on them. You know, so you know ESPN obviously a more traditional uh, sports network. ESPN you know is nibbling at the edges of getting into the gambling deal as well. You know they have been reluctant, obviously, because they are Disney. Disney and gambling may not be the most wholesome, perfect marriage. But I think they, they, yeah, but I think they obviously see the, you know, the potential for revenue there. So I think ultimately we're going to see them uh, there as well. You know, for me, you know, for ESPN, I actually, it, it's funny, in the 90s, I, I, I was absolutely glued to ESPN Sports Center. Um, I loved it. Loved all their anchors. It was appointment viewing for me every night. And I got to tell you, Jack, like over the last 10 years, and again, I don't know if this is a product of, of the, of the, of the iPhone and being able to see highlights and, and whatnot, or maybe just getting a little older. Like I, I have a real tough time kind of watching ESPN mm -hmm. now. I don't care for the debate shows. I don't care for that kind of contrived programming. I don't care for, you know, Stephen A. Smith. I don't care for, uh, those kind of debate shows. I don't care for their, um, you know, the the conversation driven. What I think, what's going to happen. I, I really, I, I, you know, maybe I'm a little more old school. I really, I really enjoyed the old school sports centers. I really enjoyed the um, uh, the the feature stories on athletes that that were just kind of, you know, told by great storytelling reporters. Uh, but they, you know, they eventually morphed into. 
you know, and some of this because they have so much programming, the easiest way to have to fill programming and to fill time is to sit two people down and have them argue for five minutes. You know, that's a lot easier way to fill time than to go out and do a great five-minute story on some athlete at the University of Colorado, right? right? It's a lot easier and a lot cheaper, you know, and they got away from doing that, you know, in, in, in the 2000s, and I think that really hurt their product, and I think, you know, if you, re- if you really listen to people, clear, listen, clear, clearly people are watching that still. I don't know why, but clearly people are. They, they, they wouldn't do it, but for me, you know, I, I've, really, I've really become disenchanted with with ESPN and, 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 their, and their style of sports programming th- throughout the day. And, you know, for SportsCenter, I know they still do it, but again, you know, I don't know. I made them, the magic is even gone with that too. I don't, I don't find myself gravitating to the highlight shows anymore. Maybe because, you know, I, I'm, I find myself on Twitter a lot and I know if there's a great highlight, it's probably going to come on my Twitter feed, yep. <laughs> you know, about 30 seconds after it happens. So you no longer have to check out ESPN SportsCenter to, to find out what happened in the world yeah. of sports that night. And a know? lot of people are consuming content overall, whether it be a highlight or, or anything else that you're watching in short snippets. Like nobody yeah. has time to watch, uh, you know, like a five minute reel anymore about a game. It's more like, okay, 20 seconds and then up onto the next yeah. thing, swipe next. Yeah. The, 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 and, and, and the attention span and, 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 you know, some of that has again been cultivated by our, you know, by the, by the, twi- the Twitter verse and, you know, that's why Twitter's kind of been so successful. For one thing, you cultivate your own feed, right? You follow who you want to follow. So by rule, most everything on your feed is of interest to you. Yeah. Right? It's, it's stuff about the teams that you have an interest in, or it's the opinion of somebody that you want to hear their opinion of or from, you know? So, you know, there's a, there's a lot going on there. I kind of call it one-stop shopping, you know, for your for your content, you're going to get your highlight. You're going to get your news. Uh, you're going to get your opinions. You're going to get jokes. You're going to get humor. You're pretty much going to get everything you want. I remember, you know, prior to Twitter, I was always on ESPN.com. Loved it, right? Always, always on there. I'm never on there anymore. Never on there. Yep. I get everything everything I kind of need or want from a sports content standpoint, from a resource standpoint, I, it's going to be on Twitter first. You know? And, I, and, it's right, and it's right there, you know? Um, I, I'll, I'll end up on ESPN.com if I'm doing research for a show. If I'm hosting a Suns pregame show or a Suns postgame show, I'll get the box scores from there. But day-to-day stuff... I'm 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 checking Twitter yeah. like that. That's where that's my go-to, and I think you know for those that are watching and listening that are sports fans. I mean, I, I think I'm not alone. I think a lot of people are like that. You know, I know some people are just not on Twitter completely because they just don't like it. But if you're if you're on Twitter, like that's kind of your go-to sports resource because there's really no other there's no really other reason to. To go f- and and if there's an art, let's let's say there's an article you want to read, you get there through Twitter, right? Yep. I mean, if it's you're if you're if you're an ASU football fan, and Sun Devil Source Chris Cartman, the editor over there, does a great article on, you know, Jaden Daniels, you're gonna see that on Twitter and, yep. and click on that article through Twitter, and then get to his website. But it begins. 
it begins through Twitter. I find that fascinating. Yeah. And it, you know? it helps. Like, it's definitely been the most efficient thing that's happened. But at the same time, I think you would agree that it's better the old way a little bit. Like, you have kids. They're probably on their phones all the time, you know? Well, yeah, that's a whole other conversation. I mean, um, my kids, uh, so I, my, I have twin boys who are 14. I have a daughter who's 10. But let's just talk about the boys, right? First of all, they're not, they're not sports fans. So, uh, I, and I don't know why, <laughs> but they're not. Um, but I, what I find fascinating about that generation now, especially me, who's come from the from a, a you know a three decade television career, my kids do not watch regular television. Not ever, not ever. Like are you not, saying, like laptop, iPads. They 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 like are that? on their Xbox. Yeah. And then through their Xbox, they can access Hulu, Disney Plus, Netflix, YouTube TV. Then on their phones, they can access YouTube TV and TikTok, and they'll watch that. If I sat my boys down and said, "Boys, put on ABC," first of all, I'm not sure they would quite know how to get regular TV on from the smart TV. And I damn sure know they would not know what channel ABC is really? in Phoenix. And to make it worse, their mother is a news anchor on ABC 15. <laughs> Where's the support? That's funny. So that, and that, that goes to show you how this generation, and I can't speak for every child, but I've got a pretty good idea that if my kids are like that, other kids are like that, too. Mm. Now, how crazy is that? I mean, could you imagine? Can, I mean, the, so you and this again, we circle back now to the future of local news. So, Jack, your generation, kids in their 20s, you guys are not really watching local news. Kids in the kids, uh, young adults in their 30s. Probably not watching local news. I don't think people in their 40s are early are, are either. Well, kids in their teens are not even, don't even know how to access local TV. Well, what's the future going to be like in 30 years or 20 years when my kids are in their mid 30s? Yeah. I mean, does local TV have a forget local news? How about local TV? Period. Like, what what's going to happen? When this, when this, when this generation, who doesn't even like know how to turn on local TV, or I don't know what ABC is, what's NBC, what's CBS, I mean, they don't even know. It's crazy, and and it's also, it's also, and I don't know about you guys, but like you know, t again, TV's my industry, so I've always kind of, you know, paid maybe a little more attention to it than other people. You know, even back in the 90s, like, I kind of knew what TV shows were on local TV during the week. I, mean, I didn't watch them all, you know. But, like, remember, like, you know, the, the Thursday night lineup on NBC, like, you know, Friends and right. Seinfeld and, you know, you know like, even, like, I, what's on local TV right now? I, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't know. Right? We all watch our shows on you know, on, on Netflix and, you know, you, we all have our shows that we like on, uh, uh, you know, that we stream and whatnot. Like, what, what's on local TV? Are people watching? Like, 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 name a show. Is, like, Hawaii Five-0 still on? 
You know, it's, it's class. It's like Seinfeld, right, Family Guy, like you right. mentioned. Like New New Amsterdam, is that like a show? I mean, and the only reason I know some of these is from the promos they run during football games. Yep. But isn't that a scary thought? Like, I, I like who who is watching like network shows? I, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of a, it's like a scary time. Like not only not only for local news and TV, but how about local TV? across the board for the networks. And on top of that, they're promoting movies and shows on Netflix, on TV. <laughs> so you're just hurting yourself. Right. You're just stabbing yourself in the back. Right, right. So, yeah, I mean, it's a, uh, you know, we started talking about, you know, kind of a, a fascinating time in local news, but it might be really, it's kind of a critical time in local TV, period. You know, because I, I, I think about my 14-year-old boys, and, you know, they don't... They, 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 there's like when I say ne- I mean never, never. It's, it's it's quite interesting. It's quite interesting. So when you you know to dive into your career a little bit, yeah, you know, <clears throat> just having like a back and forth conversation here, kind of like the art of interviewing styles. We talked about yeah. the barstool sports side of things, where they'll invite you know Matthew McConaughey on a show or Kobe Bryant or a Michael Jordan, and they'll just have a back and forth. Interesting conversation, something that you've probably never heard before, as opposed to on-air stuff where you're talking about the career, about game strategy, about, you know, and you mix in some personal stories along the way. You know, that's the art of storytelling, too. When it comes to your interviewing style, how did you find that at a young age when it came to finding your own personal style, but at the same time doing what the network wanted you to do? Yeah, you know what? That's interesting. I I think there first and foremost has to be a degree of trust from the person that you're interviewing because I think there's always, depending on the person you're talking to, there's always a little bit of a force field or a guard up because they don't want to say anything that's going to end up inflammatory or is going to be taken the wrong way or going to end up, you know, making headlines or news. So especially professional or collegiate athletes, they're just programmed to speak in cliches, right? So if you can build up a relationship with somebody, that's great. But that's not always the case, right? You can't always have that opportunity to do that. If you can, you're going to get a comfort level where maybe that force field or that guard comes down a little bit, and then you're going to get a more honest and sincere back and forth with that person. But if you can't do that, I think the best thing you can do to build a trust with an interview subject, and this goes for any interview you ever do, is for me, it's always about doing your homework. I I just, I, I really think that if one does their homework and they really put the effort into preparation Uh, in terms of what they're asking and how they're asking, the person that's being interviewed, I guarantee 100% will pick up on that. It will be appreciated, and it will be reciprocated with sincere answers um, that maybe go above and beyond the normal cliche or give and take that you might get, you know, without without doing that. from what I have found is that if you show them that you've done the work and that you've put time into this and you've researched them, they're going to feel that and they're going to appreciate that and they're going to give you something back. Mm. And I just think that's imperative for any, any, any interview that you go into. And I've always believed in that. So whenever I go into something 
where I sit down with somebody, and whether it be a 20-minute interview or a two-minute interview, I really put some thought into it. I really try to figure out, like, what, what would be really good to talk about? Because sitting down and just gunning from the hip, I mean, yeah, you might get moments of candor. You might get lucky. You know, you might, you might have a great follow-up, you know, coming off of something that they say, which could produce a great moment. But, but more times than not, if you do your homework and you do your digging and you find something in their life and their career and you pull that out and you show that person, or maybe it's a, a moment in their life that you read about or maybe a quote they gave years ago or maybe an anecdote that they went through um, and you can kind of draw that out of them and you show that person that, that you took the time to, to do your homework on that and do your research on that, they're, they're going to appreciate that. And then not only for that particular question, that will then pay off for the rest of your queries throughout the interview. Yeah. They are now like, okay, this dude put some time and effort into this. You know, I'm going to open up for the rest of his questions. So I just think it creates a much more um, interview or interviewee friendly environment. Right. I, I think if you go in, because the other side of the coin, I can promise you this. If you're just winging it and you didn't do your homework and you didn't do your prep work and you're asking stupid questions and you're asking generic questions, they're going to know it. They're not going to want to be there and they are going to shut you down. And no one's going to listen to that anyway. And nobody's going to listen to that. A, it's going to be bad. B, it's going to be the same thing that they've done over and over again. Right. And there's there, there, there's nothing worse than that. Like, I, you know, towards the end of my career, like, we, you know, we, and, and you know, and not, not every interview, Jack, has to be like two guys in a chair with lights and 60 minutes right. crap. You know, some of this can just be like a typical press conference. Like, you know, the, uh, the, the Cardinals head coach, whether it be Cliff Kingsbury or Steve Wilkes or Bruce Arians or Ken Wisenhunt, the coaches I covered, you know, they have press conferences every Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And when I would go to those press conferences, I just wouldn't show up and just start, you know, thinking of stuff on the fly. Like, I would sit at home, and I would do my homework, and I would think, like, okay, not only what's a good question, but what's a, what's a way to phrase this question that could actually give me a good answer that I could put on television yeah. that night? You know, and a lot of times the way I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but a lot of times the way you can phrase the question and the way you phrase the question will actually impact the way it's answered. Yep. Because if you give them a way out in your question, they'll take the way out. Oh, yeah. But if you can if you can design your question in a way that they can't take an easy way out, you're going to get yourself 20, 25 seconds of good stuff. You know, so I I would put the time in, and then sometimes you you know you'd get to these press conferences, and you can tell people are just like, hey, you know, hey man, what about this? What about that? And it's like, God, like, what is he gonna say? He's not gonna answer. He's not gonna answer that. You know, he's not gonna give you anything on that, right? You know, and some of that is newspaper stuff where they actually don't need a long comment. You know, hey, is Kyler Murray gonna play on Sunday? Well, we hope he is. Like, okay, that's no good for TV. So I get that. But for, for, for newspapers, it's fine. 
But even TV people sometimes who don't do their homework and don't think of ways to ask introspective questions, you know, they're, 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 wasting, they're wasting my time because I'm sitting there. They're wasting the coach's time and they're wasting their own time. That's you know, so- the difference between journalism and talking heads. Right there, what she said. That is the difference. Yeah. The journalists have gone by the wayside. We're right. old school journalism, so right. Yeah, it, it, and it's true. And it's and again, it's it, it start it starts before you sit down at a press conference. And if boy, if you, if you're sitting down with somebody for a long form interview, you better do your homework. I mean, and 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 that's where that's where it all starts. And then you you again. I can't stress this enough, too. And this goes for younger journalists or, or even people that have been doing this for 20 years. When you ask a question, even if it's your well-thought-out, well-researched, well-prepared question that you spent you know, an hour uh, researching that, that morning or the night before, when they're answering that question, don't be looking down at your notes for the next mm. question. Listen to what they're saying. Because oftentimes than not, it's the follow-up question to what they're saying, which then can produce the best answer or the best information or the best content, if you will. Because they may say something and you say, well, wait, why is that? Well, because, and then boom, now you've got yourself an interview. So it starts with the research, okay, then you get the answer. Then you're listening, then you get the follow-up, and now you've got something great. But if you're just looking down at your notes like, okay, well, gosh, what are we going to ask him next? Okay, 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 we're going to ask him this next. You're not listening? Right. You could miss a great opportunity for an unbelievable follow-up that would have produced maybe even a better answer than what you got from the original question. And to be fair, like that's where your brain goes if you're if you've never done this before, like you want to be a sportscaster, you want to be an on-air presence on television and you're interviewing someone, that's immediately what you do. Right. You, you jot your questions down. Right. That's immediately where your brain goes. Do you remember the first ever on-air interview that you ever did? And did you make that mistake? Um so <laughs> the first do you guys want to know who the first sit-down interview I ever do Did tell. Michael Jordan. <laughs> Who the hell is that? <laughs> Isn't that crazy? No, that was your first yeah. ever sit-down interview? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Were you just sweating bullets yeah. in your suit? No, because I think I was too young and dumb to even know what the How hell was happening. I was probably 19 or 20. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, so I was when I was at WGN, and I, 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 I started as an intern there at the age of 19, and it was the summer of 89, and back then, uh, the rules of, like, working and insurance and who could be in the building, like, you know, nobody gave a crap back then. I mean, are you kidding me? People were smoking in the newsroom. So, yeah. right. um, so when the internship was over, because, I, I, you know, again, because I was going to school right down the street, thank God I wasn't going to, you know, Iowa or Illinois or Michigan, and I had to go back to school because I was going to school right down the street. I'm like, you guys mind if I just keep coming in? Uh, and they're like, you want to keep coming in and working for free and helping us keep coming in? I'm like, yes. So I kept coming in and January of 1990, one of their producers left. He went over to Fox 32 in Chicago and I got a job. Um, so I was, I was a sports producer at the age of 19 uh, at WGN in Chicago. And I started going to school part-time 
because I just I couldn't do. But I'm like, I got the job. Like yeah. I'll just I'll take I'll, I'll graduate in five years, take the job. So they made me the feature producer. Eventually, they made me the feature producer of the Phil Jackson show. It was called No Bull with Phil Jackson. No K N O W. No Bull with Phil Jackson. So I was the feature producer of the Phil Jackson show, probably at the age of 20. And (laughs) so one of my first features, or probably my first feature, was a feature on the emergence of Scottie Pippen as a co-star with Michael Jordan. So I was going to sit down with Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan. (laughs) Not together. And the first person that I sat down with was Jordan. (laughs) So we went down. To, I went down to a game, and the the Bulls uh, PR guys, you know, you'll have Tim, you'll have Michael for th- five minutes here before the game. Now this was like 1990, so like Jordan hadn't even won a title yet. Like he wasn't quite Michael Jordan yet, and I wasn't quite Tim Ring yet. So we were just a couple young bucks. <laughs> but yeah, Michael. So no, I mean, I I I I was not in. But I do remember. I do remember. Doing my homework and writing down my questions, I doubt I was listening to his yeah. answers. Though I doubt yeah. I was at that place yet. Um, but yeah, so that that so that was my uh, that was my that was my start and my first on air job, and it wasn't a job; it was one hit. So. In 1992, the Bulls were playing the Knicks in the finals. So WPIX in New York, or not the finals, the playoffs, excuse me. WPIX in New York City calls our newsroom, our sports department at WGN. And they're like, "Uh, hey, listen, uh, Gary Gerard, one of our sports anchors, uh, his mom died. Um, So he can't go to game one on Sunday is there anybody in your news sports department who could do a package for us for that night uh, on the, on the game? And I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> I mean, honestly, why not? Right. I had never You're been a teacher. So I had moment. never been on the air. Right. But I like, and cause like, you know, I went to DePaul and DePaul was not like Cronkite. We like, we didn't have a TV studio. Like I, like I, like I had never been on the air. I know I'd been a producer now for almost three years, so yeah. I'd been around it. Like I, knew, I could write, right? I knew how to do a package, but in terms of tracking, like voice over work and doing a stand-up, never been on the air. But I'm like, oh yeah, I'll do it. So, so the best teacher. So I'm like, okay. So I, I we we went down there and uh, we went. I went down to the the Bulls Knicks game and it was game one, and uh, huge fight breaks out. Huge fight. You can probably find it on YouTube. John Starks is in the middle of it. So John Starks got gets thrown out of the game. And Starks is like a hothead, right? So he gets thrown out of the game um, in the third quarter, something like that. So after the game, all the New York media is lined up. And like if you know anything about New York media, it's like that's like the real deal, right? Yeah. So because I'm from Chicago, I know where the Knicks locker room is more than the New York media. So I happen to be the first in line at the Knicks locker room door when the game is over. <laughs> so the game ends and the, they open up the locker room 
and the media rushes in, and I'm first, and there I am face-to-face with John Starks, who had gotten thrown out. And now I am I'm blanking bricks at this point because I'm like, what am I? I'm 22 years old. Yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. It's like the it's like the real deal. It's like Pat Riley's Knicks, like John Starks, yeah. Michael Jordan, like you know, and like I'm and like I don't know John Starks. I'm in Chicago. He doesn't know me, and I'm face to face with him. Now I gotta now I've got to interview John Starks about getting thrown out of a playoff game for fighting. Now I don't have those skills yet, right? So you talk about getting thrown into the fire. But I did it, and I got through it, and I'm sure my lips were quivering when I was asking him questions. And I did a, I did a package, and we fed it back via satellite to, to New York City. And I had relatives in New York, and they all watched. And my very first on-air package ever aired in New York City. And that's, that's how I got my on-air start, you know, and then I... Uh, <laughs> my, my actual first on-air job was in a very small market called Wausau, Wisconsin. But I did make my on-air debut in the nation's number one market, New York City. That is an unbelievable story. And you, you, you carry that all the way, you know, 30-plus years later. Now you're, you're kind of in the film game now, film production with Gift of a Lifetime. Yeah, you know, thanks for asking about that. You know, I, um, when, I, when I left local sports... Um, I kind of, th- I, I looked around and I'm like, you know what, I really, I don't want to get back into local sports and really n- nobody, you know, we talked about the whole salary thing. Nobody really wants to pay me what I, what I, you know, I'm accustomed to, to making at this point and I don't want to go take a massive, massive pay cut. So, um, and nor does anybody even want a guy taking a massive pay cut really at this point. So, um, I was kind of like, well, you know, what do I, what do I want to do, Jack? What, 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 what where, where do I want to go? Um, you know, working at a sports network job would be great, but you know, we have three kids here. My wife Faye is a news anchor at ABC 15. We love working here, so like, you know, you know, looking for a network job, those are tough to get anyway. You know, so this didn't seem really realistic. So I was like, you know, what if I what if I took my television writing and producing skills and tried to do something maybe a little different? So you know the Cliff Note story on this. The, the real, the, the real brief version of it is: I, I was always a fan of, of watching documentaries on on biographies on famous people's life stories, uh, whether it be on HBO or, or Netflix or whatnot. I just yeah. really like watching how those are people, the, the the stories of people's lives. Um, I go way back. There used to be a, a, a History Channel. There used to be actually an up called a Biography Channel, uh, and it was just like little half hour stories on people's lives. So I thought to myself, you know. There's a lot of regular people out there who have led these amazing lives. Mm-hmm. Why should only famous people, you know, have the ability to have these really cool video do- documentaries, films made on them? What if I could start a company that 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 could produce, write, edit, and direct, you know, little half-hour films on the life stories? Of regular people, mm-hmm. you know, where you come in and you got the pictures, the narrator, the music, the interviews with the family, and you do these half-hour, well-network-caliber-produced, you know, films on regular people. Uh, it's called Gift of a Lifetime, and we launched it uh, just about a year ago. Uh, we've already done four films. Uh, it's been a, it's been a little uh, tough in the pandemic because it's a very much a hands-on. Um, product in terms of being in people's homes and interviewing people. So we are just getting started. Uh, we're super excited about it. The first few films have been a massive hit with the families that we've done them on. And 
you know, we just feel that the the value of doing these uh, um, uh, it's twofold. Uh, for one, we 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 it's it's a it's a it's a fantastic way to celebrate somebody's life, right? Yeah. yeah. There's no age limit or age group that we're targeting, but clearly it's for somebody who's lived a very good life. Like, let's yeah. just say somebody who's up there in age and maybe has kids and grandkids and, and has done great things in their life or, or, or whatnot. Um, so it's a great way to celebrate a life, to, you know, to, 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 to tell their story and to, to interview their, their spouses and kids and grandkids and, and whatnot. But to me, the really cool thing about it is, like, there's now, like, this historical documentation, this 30-minute film on somebody that can kind of live on for generations within the family. You know, I always ask people, like, if you could, have, if you could watch a 30-minute film on your great-grandfather, would you watch it? Like, of course, heck yeah, how cool would that be, right? If I could watch a 30-minute film on my grandfather, I mean, in, in, in 15 years, if you could watch a 30-minute film on your own father, like, you know, it, that, that would be fantastic. You know, so people don't have those opportunities now because people don't make 30-minute films on regular people. But we're starting a company that, that, that's going to try to do that. Um, so, you know, again, it's a, it's a cool way to celebrate a life in the present, but I think the historical and generational ramifications of doing these uh, are going to be pretty cool. Because I know, like, we just did a gentleman in Scottsdale named Tom Jennings. He's got, oh, seven grandkids, and they're young. Uh, Tom's probably in his early 80s. Tom's not going to be with us forever. Right. But I know when those grandkids are our age, and I say our, like, 20s, 40s, 50s, they're going to have that 30-minute film to watch. And they're going to be able to show their own kids. Like, kids, this is your great-grandfather. This is his life story. This is what he did during the war and the Cuban Missile Crisis. Or this is what he did, you know, in business. This is the kind of father he was. This is the kind of grandfather he was. This is what he looked like when he was younger. This is how he met his wife. You know, because that's what these films are all about. You know, we take it soup to nuts, right? We just, boom, you know, the whole life story. And we, and like I try to tell people, we, 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 we try to do these. It's like it, as if HBO comes in and does your father or your mother's life story. We spare no, you know, expense in terms of production value. Wow. You know, it's gift of a lifetime, uh, video.com. And, uh, you know, I, I firmly believe in it. Listen, is it going to work as a business and we're going to make millions? I don't know. But I, I love the idea and I love what we can do for families. Um, and if it works, great. If it kind of works and it's more of a side business, that's cool too. But I believe in the product and I believe in the value that it has for families, not only today, uh, but you know, 20, 30, 40 years from now. I just think it's really cool. I mean, it's a great niche to have because, yeah. again, like what we were starting to bring this interview full circle, like you didn't have that back in the day, or at least people didn't think yeah. to do that back in the day, you know, unless you had a platform or you were like this public figure who actually, you know, should right. be on well, TV. You know, it, again, you know, famous people are remembered, right? Yeah. And famous people are remembered because they have books written about them and movies made about them and documentaries made about them. The stories live on forever. But regular people are forgotten. I mean, they're kind of forgotten even in their own family. Like, you know, my, my grandfather, who passed away before I was born, like he owned a bar in New York City. That's pretty much all I know about him. You know, I don't know what he did. I don't know what he was all about. You know, so certainly, you know, if I don't know, nobody else knows. Um, it's honestly a good start bar in New York City. Right, you know, I'm yeah, right, already. right. He came over on the boat from Ireland. I mean, but but there there are so many people out there that have just, whether it be, you know, let's say you're let's say you're 75 or 80 years old, 
know, there's a chance, a real good chance, that you have just led an amazing life, whether it be in business or in family or if you're older, maybe maybe you were involved in, in the military in some capacity, maybe involved in war in some capacity, maybe you did great things in your community. You know, and then when you pass on, yeah, you know, your kids might remember, but eventually your grandkids aren't going to know, and eventually time will forget you. Mm-hmm. And I think that sucks. Mm-hmm. You know, and famous people are not forgotten because they have documentation about their lives. You know, I mean, Doc Holliday died a zillion years ago. We're still talking about him, yep. right? He was a dentist and a gambler, right? And there's people that have done so many wonderful things in this life, and time will ultimately forget them. Because they're just regular people. They're not celebrities. Mm-hmm. But with Gift of a Lifetime, I sound like a commercial, but with Gift of a Lifetime, no, but with Gift of a Lifetime, if we can come in, you know, and, 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 and families decide, like, hey, this is something that would be, would be cool for dad or cool for mom, you know, dad or mom's story is going to be there on film. A little 30-minute, 20-minute video, um, as if HBO came in and did it, or as if Netflix came in and did it, Right. And it'll, it'll, it'll live on. It'll live on in their families and for you know, grandkids, great-grandkids, friends, you know, um, you know, for, I don't know, hundreds of years would be the goal. I mean, that's, that's, that's the way I kind of look at it. So, And let me tell you something. The people that have had these videos done on them so far, I can honestly say have been over the moon. I mean, yeah. they, there's not a dry eye in the place and a lot of hugs and a lot of tears and a lot of emotions, and everybody has been just absolutely thrilled uh, with 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 the finished product. So that that's kind of that's kind of been a really cool thing to see. I so. think you'll get a lot of great business. If anything, I'll come to you in like ten years. Perfect. There's one, and that's giftofalifetimevideo.com. Giftofalifetimevideo.com. Yep. So we're yeah again we're 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 kind of again it's it's been a year, so we're not totally new, but but in the grand scheme of things, yeah, we're just getting going. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to come oh, man, on the show. Anytime. Tim Thanks for having me. I know I told you about 30, 35 minutes. I am uh, never punctual with that. What is it, 224 now? Woo! Did you park in a 30-minute spot down there? That's right. We'll see I'll if you get towed. I'll send you the bill if we get, if we get towed. <laughs> All right. This was, All right, uh, man. <laughs> this was episode 451 of the podcast. Remember to head on down to Mayweather Boxing and Fitness in Scottsdale and use that promo code capital BLEAV50 for your 50% bonus. Honku, you know what to do. Hit the lights, man. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.